Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 643 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Jen. She is the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes. That child also has celiac disease. A few weeks ago, Jen heard me on another show, and she didn't quite agree with what I was saying about celiac. And She reached out to try to help me understand better. When she did, I invited her to be on the program, and here she is today. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're enjoying the Juicebox podcast, please share it with someone else who you think might also enjoy it. And if you have type 1 diabetes or you're the caregiver of someone with type 1 diabetes and you're a U.S. citizen, It would take you less than 10 minutes to join the T1D Exchange Registry, fill out the survey, and help people with type 1 diabetes. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. It is the blood glucose meter that my daughter uses every day. It is the one that I like the best. And I'm talking about, of all of the blood glucose meters that she's ever used, this is my favorite. And it is the blood glucose meter that I think you would also enjoy using. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. You won't feel like you're moving around from it because that's the real problem with using the laptop is that if you get animated or look in another direction... The microphone's not moving oh. with your face. That's all. Well, you know what? I thought that the headset was working for like voice and not um, <clears throat> whatever it's called, uh, sound. Okay. So I moved away from it to talk, but I'll move closer. So let me just set it up on this. <laughs> great. That was great. I'm keeping that in. What was that? <laughs> so, did you just knock over? A, it was old... a Mr. Potato Head crate. That was a Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to guess an um, old can of baked beans that had been left out, but I don't I just uh, it sounded very tumbly. Okay, there's a laser gun down here that just went off, so I'm just going to go put that in the room too, so it doesn't go off during the interview. Give me a second, okay? Okay. She means like a real laser gun. You don't have like access <laughs> okay. to real like like space warfare, right? You're just it's like a toy. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, that's fine. I had a lot of laser guns when my son was little. Um we used to have Jennifer, can we start with a silly story? Sure. Okay. So when I was a teen or a young adult, probably in that 1921 range, laser pointers suddenly were available in the world had never been before these super strong things that would just shoot this red dot. I mean, so far away. And, um, we got a hold of them. I am embarrassed to say that they were incredibly expensive back then. You know, it was something that a person, uh, in, in my, um, financial category should not have been buying, but we, we ordered them online. They took forever to come. And then one night we went up on the roof of my friend's house 
which was across the street from a restaurant, a couple of shops, and a bar. <clears throat> so this bar is on the corner. And after hours, the drunks came stumbling out of the bar. And we took the laser pointer and put it on the ground in front of them. And much like kittens, they we could make them wander up and down the street following the laser pointer. Oh, my God. I <laughs> That's so funny. never laughed so hard in my entire life. I believe, oh if I'm not gosh, mistaken. That would be the best yes, to watch. <laughs> my wife and I were just dating at the time, I think. And, um, yeah, we weren't married that early. And um, she laughed so hard she had to pee, but you had to climb back a window, back through a window to get into the house because we were out on this flat roof and she struggled to get through. And she's like, I am going to pee myself. And my friend just kept <laughs> walking these these guys like back and forth. You could hear them talking to it. They're like, what are you? It was, it was the best 15 minutes of my life. So, Oh my um, gosh, that's really funny. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, tell everybody your name. My name is Jen, and I'm um, the mom of a type 1 um, daughter who also has celiac disease. And Jen, you are the first person, which I can't believe it's taken this long. <clears throat> Actually, you're the second person. One other person did it about an insulin pump. But you're basically here to yell at me. And I'm, I'm here to take it because I want to understand what it is that you are passionate about. Um, so can I – I'm going to lay out a little framework you tell me if it okay. strikes you right or not. I did an episode okay. with a guy named Josh like a year and a half ago, and it was called Josh Has All the Feels. Josh is a very emotional person. I believe he talked about having some depression and anxiety and things, you know, issues. He's the father of a kid with type 1. He comes back on the show about a year later, and he's struggling now for other reasons. One of them is that his child has been diagnosed with celiac. I don't know anybody personally diagnosed with celiac, and I'm trying to talk it through with him. And in my heart, the way the conversation's going is that this guy is struggling mightily with things, and I'm trying to, I don't know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to talk to him about it. I'm trying to help him if I can. And during the course of the conversation, he reveals that he's very, he's burdened by the, the celiac diagnosis and what it means to his child, more specifically about the things that the child can't have any longer. And mm -hmm. and this guy is, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, he's not ready to jump off a building or anything like that. But he's really in, in some serious psychological and emotional turmoil. And in the course of the conversation says to me that the kid doesn't actually have any symptoms from celiac. And at the same time was lamenting that he couldn't go to a birthday party and have a cupcake, or if I'm remembering it correctly. And so I said, mm -hmm. how many birthday parties does this kid go to? Like thinking like maybe they're, I don't know, like at a birthday party every other weekend and this is a big tragedy. And, um, you know, the kid's missing a cupcake every third Thursday or something like that. And, and he says, well, not that many. And I just, I kind of flippantly answered. I was like, well, just let him have a cupcake then if he's not going to have any, like, problems with it what i meant was you know i mean i'm what i was trying to get at was the guy was making himself crazy and i thought i could alleviate one one little part of it and then you got really mm -hmm. mad at me and sent me a lot of messages but you were very polite about it and that is why you're on the show mm -hmm. today to explain what it is i didn't understand yeah well i think that i wasn't necessarily as mad as i was like <clears throat> just wanting to inform you because um, I knew how passionate you are about helping people with type 1 diabetes and mar managing, you know, your daughter's um, 
diagnosis with her. So I just knew that if you knew better, that you wouldn't have said what you said. And, and that's what I was trying to help you out with there. Um, you were very helpful, my, actually. And Jen, please, I know you weren't like ranting and raving. You were just, you were lit up. Like you, you had found, like you had gotten very passionate and you were clearly trying to help me as well. Um, but you know, I, you know, should I have not said mad? Okay. Here we go again. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to get a letter from someone else says, you tried to gaslight Jen, and then <laughs> and they're going to want to. No, explain. I don't feel gaslighted. No, at thank all. you, thank you. No. no, I just meant like you um, were, you were. I mean, you weren't. First of all, it's in writing. I think it brings up a good point. <laughs> I don't know that we should write to each other, <laughs> but um, uh, uh, but you, I was just sitting here working one night, and I started mm-hmm. getting messages, and I was like, "Wow, this." Like, like I, and it was the, you would send a long, thoughtful note. And I'm like, I got to actually stop what I'm doing and read this to make sure I understand it. And, you know, maybe I was defensive when I got it at first, but I don't think I came, I, I wasn't defensive in a way that I was like, leave me alone. Like, I just, I, 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 I you felt good about how I responded, right? Yeah, like the fact that you responded in the first place, I was happy with, you know, because I could only imagine how many messages you could get from people potentially. Um, but I, I think that I'm probably just a little bit um, touchy on the subject because my daughter was just diagnosed in April and um, she's had diabetes for five years now. And, you know, we really feel like that's under control. And I know that you like aim to get to a spot that diabetes isn't like a hardship or a burden for your daughter. And, you know, it's just kind of like something different they do in life. Like that's what I tell Emma, like um, my daughter, she, um, <clears throat> she has Invisalign and she has to take out her Invisalign to eat. And I feel like it's just another step that she needs to do before she eats. And we got into, um, you know, the process of just doing that. So it was something that I didn't have to think about that often. We've been lucky enough that she hasn't been really sick. Um, you know, uh, so when we got the celiac diagnosis, it was just like another thing. So I, you know, empathized with the person you were interviewing because it just feels like you're being shot like again. Um, and you have to try to recover from it, but it's not, it's not socially, it's just a lot harder. And, you know, he had mentioned that there's not that many birthdays, but there really are a lot of birthdays. Like if you think of your class and there's 20 kids in the class and you're getting a birthday invite like every five minutes, and it's not just about birthdays, but um, it's hard. What he was saying is, you know, my son doesn't have any symptoms and he's, I don't know, he was like seven or nine years old and he couldn't have something even though it had no effect on him. So that's hard to try to explain to a child. Um, And then also just trying to make your child feel normal. That was always, you know, something that I had made a high priority for my daughter was, you know, you could do anything that anyone else can do we just have to plan a little better um and you know there's two things i guess that she can't do like you know be in the army or fly a plane or whatever but besides that it's not really something that was impeding her that much right actually think you can fly a plane now um oh you can yeah that that changed in the last year and a half or so um you might even be able to fly commercial at this point um they're working towards it i know there's the gen- what, I think the guy that got like the first license ever was on here talking about it a while ago. Okay. Yeah, but well, that's he, I got one thing back. Then. Yeah, give it back. Like, meanwhile, I don't know if she's looking to fly a plane, but that's not neither here nor there. So, it, so to pick through what you talked, what you were talking about just now for a little bit. My daughter has two things. You know, like she had had diabetes for quite some time when we found out about hypothyroidism. I know exactly how you feel. Like, you know, that idea of like, how can there be another thing? We already got a thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. fair's fair. Give another thing to somebody else. <laughs> like, why Why do we get two? And I I remember being in a hotel room with my son uh, while he was playing baseball and finding out over the phone, and I, I was distraught. Like, I, I left the room so my son wouldn't see how upset I was. 
And it was just hearing about Arden's hypothyroidism, which now moving forward is, you know, generally speaking, not such a big deal in her life. Um, and so I get it. I get what happens when things get layered on top and especially when it's new. But what I didn't, what you were saying to me that I have to be honest, I didn't have a lot of like, I didn't have a lot of perspective for is, and even people listening right now might be like, I don't understand what the problem is. Like you're saying the kid can't eat a cupcake, but when he eats the cupcake, literally nothing happens. He doesn't get sick. He doesn't feel unwell. Nothing happens. Why can't right. the kid eat the cupcake? And that's the part that, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't have context for, and I think you're going to explain it to me. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so um, when someone that has celiac disease, so celiac is an autoimmune disease, and um, it damages the lining of your small intestine. So the only way really to diagnose it properly is to get a biopsy. So because Emma has type 1 diabetes, she gets annual labs for a whole bunch of other autoimmune diseases. Um, and every year they came back normal until this year. Um, so this year uh, she had a IgA test. Uh, it's like a transglutam something test. There's three different tests you're supposed to get. And whatever it was came back high. So they're like, okay, it's high. Just don't do anything yet. Um, I'm like, well, you know, she has no symptoms of this. We don't have this in our family. And they're like, yeah, we'll just continue to eat gluten and we'll do the biopsy in a couple of months. And so we did that. And then when they did the biopsy, the doctors came right out and said, like, you know, usually you have to wait for the results of the biopsy, but they're like, yeah, that, you know, it doesn't look good. And what he meant by that is, I guess there's like finger-like projections in your small intestine that are supposed to absorb nutrients. And then with celiac disease, the autoimmune response wears down those cilia and they end up like flattening. Mm -hmm. um, so it appears different. And, you, you know, sometimes it's so bad that you can tell right by, you know, when, when you get the biopsy, the, the doctor that's there, sometimes you have to wait for the results to come back. But it was pretty certain that she had it from the doctor's response. Nonetheless, he said, you know, don't change anything until we call you with the results. <clears throat> So that's what we did. Um, and they called us and she was diagnosed with celiac. And we had like a whole presentation. Some of it I shared with you um, because I really knew nothing about celiac. I thought like gluten-free was really like trendy and, you know, <laughs> it's just something mm -hmm. that, you know, people that were usually like really skinny just kind of complained about, you know. Um, and I thought it was more like a health lifestyle than something that could be really bad for you. And and in being really bad, um, what I mean is even though there's no symptoms that she's getting, it's affecting her small intestine. Uh, and if she would continue to eat gluten, because that was my next question is like, you know, well, she's diagnosed now, but she has no symptoms. So can she just like, you know, eat gluten until she has some symptoms? And they said, no, like um, it can lead to uh, a cascade of autoimmune disorders, uh, cancers, um, um, mal malnutrition, malabsorption. Um, so it's, it's really a serious diagnosis and, you know, so you can't have the cupcake, but there's so many other things that you can't have either that you would, um, not have thought of. And that's kind of what I wanted to also follow up with is like so many people, including myself before my daughter was diagnosed was like, we'll just eat the pizza. Like, you know, you're just going to be a little bit sick later. Like, you know, like your stomach's going to hurt. You're going to have to go to the bathroom a little bit, but that never happened to my daughter. But like, that's what I had in my mind when I hear of like a gluten allergy, mm -hmm. you know. But now, you know, the rest of it, which and you just explained a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I guess I knew 
and but not to that detail. Like I understood about the fi- like the finger appendages and how they get flattened out. That has been explained to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know about the absorption. I I get all that. I think that. I think that in fair, I don't want to say in fairness to me because I'm not trying to defend myself. I honestly, so let me be clear before we go forward, Jen. I don't think I did anything wrong back in that that conversation. I think if people go back and listen to it, there was a guy telling me, like, you know, he's out of his, you know, he's out of his right mind at this point. And I'm like, if giving that kid a cupcake next month helps you not feel like this, I didn't mean every day. I didn't mean the kid should be eating like gluten constantly. He seemed like he was in my mind, singularly focused on this thing that was going to be taken from the kid, this idea of going to a birthday party, he was very focused on it, would be mm-hmm. be taken away. And I thought, well, geez, just if it's, you know, if it's, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> my throat has uh, a problem. <laughs> Give me a second to take a drink. <clears throat> I apologize. <clears throat> so what, what I was, okay. what I was saying was like, if, you know, if this one little concession is going to, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't just a little uptight. He, he was on edge. And I thought if this one little concession was going to help him focus better, that this might make everything better and et cetera. You mean nothing's going to happen to the, to the child at all. I don't know that I still don't understand it enough to say that I wouldn't still think that. You know, like, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, like, is that, you know what I'm saying? Like, if if you're in this situation and you eat gluten-free most of the time and have gluten once, you're getting cancer? Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or like, or is it, do you know what I mean? Like, that's the part I don't understand. Like, I, I'm not saying yeah, and I think I'm that's right like or wrong. The problem is that it's yeah. like such a vague thing. Like, it's, oh, you're going to get cancer. You know what I mean? Like, because like a lot of people get cancer, you know, like, uh, so I I can sympathize with that thought. And I think when you said that, that's something that's so easy to grab onto is like, well, yeah, like, you know, if they're that upset, just give them the cupcake for a second, you know, mm-hmm. and then move on. And the next day don't have a cupcake. But it was so impactful when, you know, our um, gastroenterologist went over like the amount of gluten that can make someone sick. Like, you know, you can't get French fries that are fried in the same oil as anything that had gluten. Like we had to buy a new toaster um, for my daughter just to toast her gluten-free bread. Um, Like there's the tiniest amount that can do damage to you when you have the autoimmune disease. So it's not like a gluten allergy. Um, It's like, you know, something more than that, that the smallest amount can make you sick, even though you have no other symptoms. And the thing is, once she took gluten out of her diet, she actually can feel now like when she gets gluten. So like if yeah. we went out to a restaurant that was supposed to have had, you know, a safe fryer or something, but maybe it got cross contaminated by like sitting on some other surface that um, had gluten on it. Like she then can feel it in her stomach. Like she still doesn't like have the bathroom symptoms or anything like that, but she can tell that her stomach feels off. So I'm just wondering if like, you know, I thought maybe she had no symptoms because that was her baseline. Um, just like, you know, you can't, you don't know that you can't see when you're a kid until you go to the eye doctor and then you can see, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I thought, well, maybe that, but there was nothing even looking back that I would have been like, oh yeah. Like, I think she has something going on with her stomach. Like there was right. nothing like that. Yeah. I understand. No, I, I definitely do understand. And I, and I want to be clear, like, I really appreciate you coming and explaining this to me. Um, and to mm-hmm. everybody, because, I, I mean, I got done with that episode and I never thought twice about it. And I heard from you 
And then I would have to say, in fairness, you know, it was listened to many tens of thousands of times, and I only heard from about four or five people on it, but I still heard from four or five people about it who, who all rubbed up on the same exact thing that, that caught your attention. Um, and so that's the thing that I'm trying to understand is, are you, this is going to sound accusatory and it's not, I'm just, are you more focused on it because it's new? Or because when I brought this up to an, I brought this up to a medical person and I was asking them mm-hmm. and I said, Hey, here's what happened. And I said, this woman's great. She's going to come on and explain it to me and everything. And the person went, Oh, I bet that made them really upset. And, um, I was like, I said, I don't know how upset they are. I said, but they're very like concerned about being clear about it. And the yeah. vibe was from the medical person. Yeah. In the beginning, you can feel that way. And I was like, okay. But it, they weren't making a medical judgment. I think they were just reflecting what they've seen in other people. If that makes sense. Um, like, yeah, I think that it, you you just have to get in the groove with it. So, like, I've heard you know people that you've interviewed with celiac, you know, and they're just going about their lives like, yeah, you know, we can eat the meat, we can eat the vegetables, we can eat fruits, um, but it's just. So, I do think that I think I even said in my. Um, message to you that, you know, it it might be just that it's all so new and it's overwhelming because it's definitely like gluten is in so many different things. And and I could see myself being in that position so much to be like, oh, well, there's no symptoms. So let's just do a little gluten now, you know, that I, um, I, I don't want other people to, to think that way. Cause I think that you have to get into the part that it's really hard. It becomes easier. And then it's a lifestyle. And then if you're, if you're sabotaging yourself by your, or your, you know, child by just letting them have it sometimes it's like giving them a little bit of poison every now and again, and then it's not a problem until it's a problem, right. you know? So that's where I, you know, just wanted to fill you in because, you know, we talked about cupcakes, but then there's like things like birthday parties. They go, so we're really focused on birthday parties here. It's not all birthday no, it parties, was just but the, it's like everything. Yeah, it was just the, what spurred the conversation in the other episode, of course. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, like, like, you know, let's say like soy sauce, smoke flavoring, like Play-Doh, like, you know, you, you go to a birthday party, they're decorating cookies. You can't decorate the cookies. It's just, it makes things so much harder because if, if you think about honestly living like you have celiac um, for a week and you know, you have to look for natural flavoring. You have to see if the spices that they're using contain any gluten Uh, and it's just ridiculous. Like it's really hard at first. So I think I'm definitely in the hard part. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to make it clear to everyone that listens to your podcast that if you have celiac disease, the only way to ensure that you're going to be safe and healthy Um, is to completely eliminate gluten. And then at that point, you know, everything goes back to normal and you live, you know, fine. Your risk for everything is, is back down. Um, But I think it's important, you know, to say that you you can't cheat a little bit. Well, certainly I I am on national foundation for cancer research.org. It's nfcr.org. And there's an article here about celiac and it says, what is the link between celiac disease and cancer? There are three types of cancer associated with celiac disease all right, there's EATL, which is enteropathy associated T cell lymphoma, non Hodgkin's lymphoma, and wow, Aiden no carcinoma of the small intestine. So, but then there's a description here that says the disease does not cause these cancers, but there is an increased risk of an individual 
if an individual has celiac disease. Studies have found that the risk of lymphoma is slightly higher among people with celiac than the rest of the population. The overall risk varies person to person, but those with more intestinal damage have been found to have a higher risk. Um, mm-hmm. For those living with celiac, it is essential to follow a strict gluten-free diet. Doing so protects the intestine and in turn reduces the risk of developing cancer. More restaurants and food. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah. I So, for clarity, I've never read that before saying that I would just give the kid the cupcake if it made you happy. And I wasn't even talking about the kid being happy, by the way. I think if we remember back to his conversation, the child wasn't that upset about the food. It was the... Mm-hmm. It was the the adult, the the parent. Um, yeah, I, I was wondering about that in your situation. Is your kid more adaptive to this than you are, or vice versa, or how's it going for you? Before you go to a restaurant, you read a review. Before you buy a television, you read a hundred reviews. Before you move to an area, you learn all about it. Blah, 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 blah. What did you do before you bought your blood glucose meter? Oh, yeah, you didn't even even look into it in a little bit, did you? Okay, that's fair. It's not too late. You probably got your blood glucose meter at a time in your life that was full of turmoil, but now things are a little calmer, and you can take five minutes to find out if you're using a good blood glucose meter, one that you can trust the accuracy of. One that's easy to use and easy to transport. I am, of course, talking about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Just this evening online, I watched a conversation where somebody said, my CGM is way off. And um, they proved it by holding up a picture of the test they had done with their blood glucose meter. Now, I won't name the meter, but in the top 10 blood glucose meters... This one was nowhere near, uh, it was nowhere near the top 10. So this is a common situation. They're using a blood glucose meter whose accuracy is not dependable. And that's making them question a number they're getting from another device that is dependable. And it creates this sort of uneasiness. Like, you don't know what to do next. Like, how do I give insulin off of this? If one thing says one thing and one thing says another. Well, I'll tell you something right now. I don't know what my daughter's blood sugar is at the moment because I came into this room without my phone. But if I had the phone and grabbed a meter and tested her blood sugar, I guarantee you the numbers would be very similar. Because Arden is using a quality glucose monitor and a quality blood glucose meter. Now, these blood glucose meters are not expensive. And they're easy to obtain. So if you got one given to you by a doctor or you bought one real quick at a, you know, I don't know, you were in a store one day and you're like, I think my kid's got diabetes. I don't know how you ended up with the meter you have. Maybe it's just the one that you thought your insurance covered. You owe it to yourself to look into the Contour Next One. For one thing, it may be cheaper in cash than you're paying right now through your insurance for a lesser quality meter. These are things you should know for sure. Contour Next dot com forward slash juice box. Just take a couple of minutes, go through the web page, make sure you're doing the right thing for yourself. It would not be difficult for you to move to a quality, accurate meter that has a bright light for nighttime viewing, an easy to view screen, and if you want an application for your cell phone where you can save 
your tests, and other information. They, they talk to each other by the Bluetooth, the app, and the, the meter. It's, it's, you know, it's uh, 2022. Stuff's amazing now. Oh, by the way, if you don't want to use the app, doesn't matter. Works fine without it. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Just five minutes. Check it out. I just think it's so hard to tell because she's 11 um, and she's a girl in middle school. So I think that at that age, everybody wants to just blend in and, you know, be like everyone else. So if she was, she's upset sometimes for sure, especially like, you know, at restaurants, they'll bring you out bread without even asking like, you know, and then I have a 10 year old that doesn't have celiac and she's 11. Well, she just turned 12 two days ago, but um, that's hard because, you know, her brother can do it and she can't. So you get some of that. And I think, you know, I, I am also am sad for her because I know that, you know, when she goes to a friend's house, they have to ask her first, you know, about keeping her safe with diabetes, like a really quick blurb, you know, I've said, here's the, the rescue thing. We've never needed it, but here it is just in case. And then they're like, okay, well, what kind of food can she have? So I think it's just all those additional questions to have to like lead a normal life. So it's probably some of me, a lot of me, but, um, it's also her and it's becoming more and more her because, um, socially it's just so difficult. Like, you know, at that age, like even she's going to get ready to start like going somewhere for dinner with friends, but that's not like a normal experience where you could all share an appetizer or something like that, you know, like, um, so Jen, you're sad, you're sad for her, right? Yeah. I think everyone would be sad for their kids when they have to do something different. And I don't think it'll last forever. Like, you know, it's just probably in this moment until she finds some like things in her groove of, you know, what she likes and, yeah, you know, then it won't work. be as big of a deal, but no, I, I agree. Feel like I'm sounding like the other guy that was on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to paint you um, in that way. I thought, I thought if I'm being honest, I thought you, you were probably motivated by exactly what you said earlier. I think you like the podcast. I think you think it does good stuff for people and you didn't want something that felt like misinformation to be involved in it. And I, I genuinely yeah. appreciate that. I also did think that you're, enthusiasm did come from a place of being more newly diagnosed. And I imagined that part of that was what you just described. Just this, you know, this thing had just been taken from your child. I mean, I heard it in Josh's voice. You know, something came along and took something from his kid. And then it came along again and did it again. And, you know, and Josh, if you remember, has the extra added um, issue of he has type one. So he had a little bit of his own you know, what I'll call childhood trauma around diabetes, that it's baggage. He knows how it affected him and he's worried for mm-hmm. his child as well. You, you know, and while you don't have, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I might be speaking for you. You don't have celiac or type one, right? No, no, no but in no my family. Yeah. Oh, really? There's just no one else. Just your lucky daughter. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is like, there has to be someone else is what they said about celiac. Like um, in doing my research, it said that like 83% of people are not diagnosed uh, or misdiagnosed that have celiac. Um, so when my daughter was diagnosed, they said it's genetic. So, you know, everyone in your family needs to be tested. So we had to test my two-year-old, my nine-year-old, my husband and I, um, and all of our tests came back kind of normal, except for my two-year-old, um, his levels came back elevated and also um, 
his total IgA was low. So it was like an IgA deficiency, which puts him at risk for autoimmune diseases. So we need to monitor him. Um, but, you know, my parents, I've lived with five generations, you know, I knew my grandmother, my great grandmother, my great great grandmother, and you know we have a pretty large family, and no one else has had type one diabetes or has known they had celiac. So anybody, I'm sorry, anybody ever run to the bathroom after a pizza party or something like that? Like, like you know what I mean? Can you look back and see it somewhere? They just didn't know. I feel like that. Yeah, but the other thing is, like, if you go to Beyond Celiac, it actually tells you, like which I was really surprised about, like not telling everybody what your diet and how much you have to cut out is before you ask them to get tested because they won't get tested because they'd rather not like oh. give up whatever yeah, they I, can't have. I see. Yeah. You don't tell them, Hey, we need you to get tested to find out if you have to give away your 20 favorite foods. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that next week. Thanks. Um, yeah. no, no. I, listen, it's a, I mean, I have a ton of compassion for you. I don't know that I don't have something like, did you, um, did, when you said your whole family got tested, did, was everybody biopsied? No, no. Um, it, there's just, just three blood test. tests that right. they run. Okay. Yeah. And then if one of those come up high, like, you know, I guess you could have a high result and it not be celiac. So the only way to diagnose it, you know, confirm the diagnosis is with the biopsy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have, like, when my iron, was, like, I don't know how much you listen to this podcast, but when my iron was low, I had a doctor want to test me for celiac. And he came back mm -hmm. saying, like, you have a gluten sensitivity. And that was, you know, as much as he would say. Um, and I was like, okay. You know, and I think there were some, like, small, he scoped me. It was a big fun day. And um, I, I do think I had some of that damage that you spoke about to, like, the the fingers in the, um, I don't know, obviously mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at a loss for a lot of the technical words, but, um, my bigger problem was I had like some Barrett's esophagus. like this, this is going to sound scarier than I think it is, but hold on a second. I'm Googling. I guess I have something called Barrett's esophagus. Jeez, I don't know. Like it's a condition where a flat pink lining of the swallowing tube that connects to the mouth to the stomach that connects the mouth to the stomach where the esophagus becomes damaged by acid reflux. So I had some acid mm -hmm. reflux. Um, and then you get kind of this thickening, you know, lining, and it that makes you more susceptible to a certain kind of cancer. So now I have to um um I think you have like I'm reading this now. If it goes untreated, which I guess would mean if I just continued to have the reflux, I'd have like a 60 times higher chance of developing, developing esophageal cancer, um, which mm -hmm. the five-year survival rate is not good um, to begin with. So I just like, I used the, um, the antacids at first because I just wanted to get right on top of it. But then I realized like I have this reflux because I'm eating something my body's not happy with. So I cut out, I've talked about it before in the podcast, I cut out all kind of processed oils. Um, I don't really eat deep fried things anymore. Um, and, and a number of other little adjustments to my, to my life. I also eat in more of an intermittent fasting window so that my body's not constantly um, digesting food, especially at night, uh, that kind of stuff. And I don't take the, um, the reflux medication anymore and I don't have reflux anymore. So um, mm -hmm. like a diet change fixed that for me. Anyway, this is loosely related, but 
I did some. So did they look any further that. though when your like levels came up that you have a gluten allergy? Like, how do they know that that wasn't celiac and that it was causing the other problems? Yeah, I. To be honest with you, I don't know. Right, like he, <laughs> we were going through so many things trying to figure out what was wrong because what was really wrong was I was shutting off. Like I looked mm-hmm. like a robot whose battery was just draining slowly. And by the time we got to the guy who wanted to look for celiac, I was like, dude, my, my ferritin's really low. I think if you just gave me an iron infusion, like I'd be okay. And he made me not eat gluten for a month before he would do that. And I have to tell you, yeah, that and it didn't the do anemia, anything. I mean, that's something else that can be caused with celiac, you know, so um, you yeah, might because you can't, walk into a biopsy. Yeah, you can't absorb the, the iron through your digestive tract um, the same right. way. Now- it looked like I was going to be getting the infusions forever because I would get them uh, and then it would deplete again because I just wasn't getting it through nutrition and taking an iron tablet wasn't helping me either. But I soon learned to mix the iron um, supplement with a vitamin C, like an azorbic acid, mm-hmm. take them at the same time. And it like, it's like turbo boost the, the iron into your system. So I don't have to get the, um, uh, the infusions any longer, which by the way, really help quickly. Um, because mm-hmm. now I just take like an iron tablet, like twice a week with a vitamin C and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, I mean, the whole thing, the whole, like Jenny and I have been talking about lately, like your gut and its ability to pull up nutrition and, um, the, the need for it to be balanced, you know, with the bacteria that's in there. It's all just incredibly important and probably really tied to autoimmune issues as well. Yeah. I, you know, I can't believe someone had mentioned something when Emma was young about her gut and health and how important it was, but it was someone, I think I heard you say it on the podcast the other day. Like if you heard yourself talk about, you know, these vitamins and stuff, you would have been like, you know, what this guy, like, he seems really nice, but he's really like out there. Yeah, And that's kind of like my whole point of view too. Like, you know, I can't believe that what she said is probably pretty accurate. Um, the other thing about my daughter is, you know, she's been, um, overweight, like her whole, like since she was three. Um, and, and that's when the person that mentioned the gut health was telling me, you know, I think there was a a book they recommended like called wheat belly or something. I still haven't read the book because I was listening to it. And then Emma was diagnosed and it was making me angry because I I don't know. (laughs) I was just, I was too much at at one time for me. So I never actually finished the book, but in listening to your podcast and just like some of these things that she said, it it seems like, you know, gut health is like so important and it, and it seems to have been, you know, something that, you know, causes a lot of these issues or it seems like it's being pointed in that direction, at least for autoimmune. And then even, you know, the role of vitamins and probiotics and things like that, that I never would have thought of, you know. Right. I do wish I understood it earlier in my life because I've carried weight since I was like, I don't know, in my early twenties that's never really been commiserate with how I eat or my activity level. Like yeah. I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I, I get, there's certain words, but I'm not supposed to use it anymore in polite society, but in my personal life, like I'll tell people like I'm the fattest person that doesn't eat that you'll ever meet in your life. You know, like mm-hmm. I just don't take in a ton of calories and it doesn't matter. Like my body just like, if, if I even ate in a reasonably like quote unquote normal way today, if I just mm-hmm. had, I don't know, some carbs and, you know, one little junky thing, you know, but ate pretty well other than that and had three big meals, I'd weigh five pounds more tomorrow. 
Like my yeah. body would start like um, uh, retaining water, and it's just it's it's weird. And I'm sure it I'm sure it's likely to do with something of all these things that I figured out for myself and my stomach, and you know the things that I've been able to pick through. I thought for sure getting the iron thing together was going to be like, I, I honestly, like in the back of my head, I was like, I'm probably going to lose like 20 pounds when this all gets straightened out. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. like that didn't happen. And I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) But I'm also old. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. And um, no, that's, that's the same thing with my daughter though. You know, like I thought that even that for her, that, you know, well, she's not really eating any carbs now because she doesn't like the gluten-free bread and you know, the pasta, we don't have pasta. So she's literally eating like fruits and vegetables and meat and she's still weighing the same amount. So that's another thing that we've been looking into is like, you know, what's driving this. And um, like you said, it's probably something to do with, you know, her gut or his, you know, I don't know that for sure, but some other kind of thing that we don't know about and haven't been looking for everything that like she's been diagnosed for hasn't even been on my radar, you know? So it's just crazy because I hear people like having such a hard time to be diagnosed with celiac when they're having all these symptoms and, you know, we weren't even looking and she was diagnosed with Mm. it. So yeah. Hey, how, how old is she now? She's 11. I mean, she's 12, 12. as of this week. Oh, it's hard right. to get used to that. Happy birthday. And has had this this diagnosis with celiac just over six months, really. Yeah. Okay. And But when was she diagnosed with type 1? How old? Uh, she was six years old. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a, a while ago then. Um, yeah. How How is all that going with the diabetes piece? Like, it, has it always been, well, I guess, where is it now and where where did it start? Um, I, she has always been like older for her age somehow. So nothing was ever that terrible as far as diabetes. I was so lucky for that because my son is really the opposite of that where everything is an issue, but he, uh, um, she, we started off on injections. We, um, got on the Dexcom just about two months, maybe a month actually after she was diagnosed. And then we had the Omnipod, um, in April and she was diagnosed in December. So we got on everything really quick with technology. Um, and I looked into looping and, you know, I kind of just followed the page a while then ended up, um, taking the plunge about two years ago. Um, so that's made things a lot better, so much better, especially like sleeping. I can't believe, you know, how we used to have to wake up in the middle of the night and do the finger checks. And it's just not having that anxiety about that. So, uh, it's going really well with diabetes. Um, and I'm also very excited about the Omnipod 5 coming out and, you know, getting that technology. Um, so I think that'll make things even easier. That's and that's what it was. It was just that, you know, everything was so smooth <laughs> after five years that it's just another thing. And and like you said, you know, everybody has something or, you know, we already have our thing. That's what I always told Emma is like, everybody has something. You don't know what everyone has. Um, and it was just like another thing. <laughs> so <laughs> they were, And then somebody came along and was like, and no bread. She's like, wait, what happened? I already got the insulin thing. <laughs> the hell? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was, I was good with this. Why another thing? <laughs> My goodness. But she deals with it reasonably. You're, you're, you feel like she's okay. Or yeah, is it hard? In first grade, she was like giving presentations to her classroom about like injecting herself and stuff. So she's really like an outlier when it comes to, I think, kids in general, and then especially with handling things that are a little bit mature, more mature for someone their age so i'm gonna have to have arden back on the show at some point and i'm gonna talk through this i'm gonna get her side of the story on what what happened last night in our house which i know is gonna shock people when i say out loud but arden is uh 
and she's like 17. She's going to be 18 in April, May, June, maybe like four or five months. She's had diabetes mm-hmm. since she was two. And last night, Arden gave herself her first injection. She's really? never, never given herself an injection before. And um, oh wow, yeah. So she was on a she was on she's on a steroid pack, which is over today, thankfully. So we've been going through a lot more insulin than normal. And uh, a couple of times during the last couple of days on the steroid pack, we've injected some insulin to try to save the site because we were like, you're flooding the site with, with insulin. I think uh, at points during the steroid pack, Arden's um, basal went from 1.1 to four units per hour just to mm-hmm. like stay on top of the steroid pack. But as the steroids titrated down, you know, there were times when it didn't need all the basil and then times when it did. And there were times it got ahead of us. And we, anyway, we would knock it back with this, with an injection, trying to save the site a little bit. And, um, so last night I said to her, Hey, we got to inject. And, um, I drew up a needle like while we were talking and I put it on the counter and I just said, why don't you do it? And she goes, uh, all right. <laughs> and then I said, you know, I'm like, you're going to go away to college. I'm like, at some point, like your pump's not going to, like, it's going to get knocked off or something's going to happen. Like you're going to need to know how to inject and it's going to need to be, you know, kind of like fluid and seamless. You're not going to be able to sit around. And she's like, okay. And she sat there for a while, like giggling and laughing and holding it. And, and then she's like, I, I have to go somewhere private. And she disappeared into the bathroom and um, anyway, I'm going to let her tell the rest of the story on the podcast one day because she didn't come out of that bathroom for about 90 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, I, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny, like, how you get so far away from it, though, that that's not even, like, something that you probably have to do all the time. I mean, I'm assuming you probably aren't injecting manually very much, right? No. Yeah, hardly. Maybe a handful of times a year and, you know, or something like that. But it's just, uh, I mean, she was so young when we got the pump. She was four. <laughs> And she had diabetes when she was two. So two and three, like I was injecting her and it just never kind of happened. And then we've had just really such good success with Omnipod for so many years. It's just never a thing. And so if it comes up once or twice a year where you have to inject real quick, you know, to check to make sure a site's okay or something like that. um, She's always just sort of been like, well, can you do it? Because like, I don't know how to do it. It was never like out of like. Like, I, I don't want to do it. It was just, it was easy and it was yeah. quick, you know? And then the next thing you know, you look up and it's, you know, 15 years later and you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> That's what I, I kind of wonder how Emma would be now because she was doing it when it was like first grade, second grade. And it was like, you know, something, I don't know, that was different. Um, and I, I think, I don't know if she, I don't think she would be scared now to do it. She hasn't had to inject herself. I mean, she has a stomach virus right now as we speak, and it's her first stomach virus. And, you know, since she's had diabetes mm. and I spoke to the doctor yesterday about giving manual injections and like, I had to look for all this stuff around my house. Like I had it, but it was just like, you know, we haven't had to do this for so long that the thought of that might be intimidating at some point if you get away from doing it. So I think it was good that, you know, Arden decided to take the plunge and, and do it herself. Yeah. But it's something, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, I better have Emma start doing this occasionally as well, because you just take technology for granted sometimes. You also are likely not wrong about that because I might have told this story before, but I'll tell it quickly here. Um, you know, she stopped using um, injections two years into diabetes when she was four years old. And we didn't have any like reason to inject for like a year or two, you know, after that. And then one day 
I just was like, you know, I don't know if anybody like, like can feel what I'm saying, but sometimes you put a pump on, you're like, I'm not sure if this site's working. And mm-hmm. if you just inject some insulin and you suddenly get some movement, you go, oh, maybe it is the site. So this happened one day. And I just called her out into the kitchen. I was like, hey, I got to give you some insulin. And she brings the PDM for the, the Omnipod and hands it to me. I'm like, we're going to inject it. And I pulled out the needle and she like, you know, it was like, like a Bugs Bunny reaction. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, what? She goes, what is that? And I don't mean like, like, you know, she was probably like six by then. And it wasn't like, what is that? Like, you're not giving me a shot. It was, what is that? Like, I don't know what you're showing me. Like she didn't even Uh recognize the syringe. And that floored me because I had kept track in the first couple of years. And between finger pokes and injections, she got poked like 10,000 times in two years. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, you don't remember this? She had no recollection of what it was at all. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, even you talking now, like I, when she said manual injection, I have like those little skinny, I guess, I don't know, syringes that I was planning on using when I had to do the manual injection. And now that you're talking, I'm like, wait, every time we go on vacation, I get like scripts filled for those pens that I could just put the needle tip on. And that's like how we used to inject her. So I don't know why they said like, when you have to give her a manual injection, I thought you had to use like the scariest tool possible to <laughs> go and try to give her an injection. I could have just used her pen, you know? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell like you, I said, this is just good. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. It, no, it's just like a dry run for when something's like really serious that will have all of our stuff together now and, you know, know to do this a little bit more often to be prepared. So, yeah. Oh, I'm, it's hilarious because we were, I mean, you know, she stopped, like I said, she stopped using injections when she was four. So that makes it like 2008, maybe. And mm-hmm. no lie, six months ago, I said to the, um, the endocrinologist, the nurse practitioner, I was like, Hey, while you're writing out prescriptions, can you write me a prescription for a box of needles? And she's like, we're going to start using them again. I'm like, no, I just ran out of them from 2008 because we had had a box left over and that's how long they lasted, you know? And, um, and she's like, oh, sure. So she just writes the script. She goes, uh, that's crazy. When they came to the house, I was even like, I have not gotten a prescription for needles filled in like, I don't know, God, 2008, like 13 years or more. Mm -hmm. That's how long that box of needles lasted in my house. So this next box should last a maybe you know, in Arden's thirties, maybe. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's, you know, I, I just want to tell you, like, I take your point, like it's, you know, things come and go, you have to kind of keep up on stuff and, you know, it, she could just look, your daughter might look up one day and just be like, I don't even remember doing this. Cause Arden, I'm telling you back then she was floored, whatever that needle was, she had never seen it before. And that mm-hmm. confused me. Um, Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about how you end up eating with celiac. So, like, let's be more specific. I mean, we were joking earlier, it's like, we're only talking about cupcakes. But we're talking about wheat, right? No wheat? Yeah, wheat, barley, and rye. Okay. <clears throat> and um, there's, like, a handful of random ingredients that you just have to look out for, like um, natural natural flavorings, smoke flavorings, Um marinades they even say like lipstick and lip glosses and things like that Hmm. um so you're obviously not eating that but i it is it does feel normal when you're making dinner but it just kind of paralyzes you at first because you have to be like okay well what am i 
making exactly, you know, what sauce is that? Does it, I didn't think of soy sauce for some reason. I don't know why, but um, that was something that I was like, oh, okay. I guess we have to have gluten-free soy sauce too, which is totally doable. It's more the social thing about going out. And I was, you know, we're a busy family. I know that you have your son in baseball and like travel baseball is crazy. And sometimes you have all these games and you just have to pick up something on the road. And that's what makes it hard is like adapting to those situations and knowing, you know, how easy it is for, you know, even a fast food restaurant, if they really wanted to cater to people that can't eat gluten, you just have one fryer that you put the fries in that are separate from all the other stuff that you put the breaded stuff in. Mm -hmm. But when I even went, you know, Chick-fil-A is known for like um, having a dedicated fryer at most locations. Uh, But I talked to the manager and I'm like, do you have um, the gluten-free fries? Are they gluten-free? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, in the celiac community, it's, you know, well known that you can have safe fries at (laughs) um, Chick-fil-A. I even actually went there to get French fries because I knew we were going somewhere else for dinner when we were on a vacation and I just wanted her to have a normal experience. And um, she's like, I'm like, what exactly? Like I had to press, like what exactly about the, um, fries are not gluten-free? Like, do you have the separate fryer? And she's like, yes, we just don't have gluten-free French fries. And I'm like, well, it's just potatoes. And she's like, oh, then they are (laughs) gluten-free. So I just felt like uneasy that I was able to, you know, talk to someone, talk someone into basically them being gluten-free. So it's just like, there's not enough information and it's so easy to make accommodations that I just wish people knew that like exactly what it was. I like what you did. I think instead of trying to educate somebody, just like, listen, take those French fries and put it (laughs) in that fryer over there and then give them to me. And that's all Mm -hmm. you need to know. Thank you. These are gluten-free now. Thank you very much. Yeah. I listen, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not going to educate everybody. It's worth trying, but you know, by the time you get that person educated, she's not going to work at Chick-fil-A anymore. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like even just saying, okay, yeah, you could just put them in that fryer. Now she knows, you know, there, she doesn't right. need to know the whole story behind everything, you yeah. know, but I think there's a lot of places like that, that it's like, well, if you just do this, then you also have gluten-free and that would actually be good for your business. Cause you're, you know, helping a whole bunch of people that can't eat your product eat. But as far as like, um, I, I guess eating at home, it's just, you know, making sure there's no gluten and things. And that's really just what it comes down to is looking out for those ingredients. I guess I just don't have them all memorized yet. And that's right. why it's harder because it's, I'm still learning. Um, it's super interesting while you're talking, like in trying to, I'm trying to wonder where all places I would find gluten. And I realized it's very similar with carbs for, for people. Like mm-hmm. I remember being with somebody one time and I was like, here, count the carbs in this plate. And they mm-hmm. did it. And then I said, okay, where'd you get them from? And they did it. And I said, you know, you didn't count the ketchup. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, that's a condiment. I was like, oh, there's carbs in it. And she's like, well, not yeah, many, right? Apple. Yeah, I don't think there's carbs in the apple. Right, right. She's like, not many, right? I'm like, hmm, not really. I was like, there's a couple of tablespoons of ketchup here. I said, this could be, depending on what ketchup it is, this could be 10 carbs, you know, and mm-hmm. honey mustard and other little things that condiments that people don't think about or, um, you know, they where they just get it in their head that a slice of bread is is 20 carbs, but then you grab another brand of bread and it could be easily be 28 carbs. Um And how do you keep all that straight? Yeah. And then even like, you know, you go and there's an appetizer of like, you know, smoked wings and you're like, oh, they're smoked. They're not fried. They'd be good. And like, you don't fry these, right? Like, oh no, we do fry them. And they're like, but they're smoked. Why are they also fried? You know? And it's like things like that are like, you know, barbecue rub and the barbecue um, seasoning has gluten in it, you know? 
know. And it's like, well, why'd you have to do that? You know, everything else was gluten-free until you got to that seasoning. And, and I'm not saying that to people. I'm just no, saying that in my head, yeah. you know. Um, so it just limits your options. And that's really, that's what it comes down to. I guess it's more of an emotional thing. It, it, eventually it will be fine. Like you said, you know, you're not going to have as big of an option of everything. Mm-hmm. But it's also such a pain to have to ask people like, oh, well, you know, how about this? Do you have, I mean, it's sometimes it's just easier to eat at home. And that's what I see is like, you know, when I'm part of different groups online is that there's like, oh, you know, I just feel like I can't go out or blah, blah, blah. And I just, I didn't want her to feel like that, you know, and I know that you don't want that for your daughter sure. either, you know, so I, I, when you were having the conversation I just knew that even now you said you would still have her eat the cupcake. I hope by the end of the podcast, you understand that she really couldn't eat the the, the cupcake um, because it's causing problems and, and, and it's setting her up, you know, like you're trying to set up good habits with type one diabetes. You can't, you know, you, you just kind of have to, it's not your body that you're trying to help either, or that it's not your, your diagnosis. It's not your disease. So I feel bad, like, you know, gambling a little with her health too no of course well i don't disagree at all i mean well so can i play devil's advocate for a minute just for fun so we have something to disagree about because it's more fun when we disagree (laughs) um and by the way i don't disagree with you i i hear what you're saying but um let's think you ever have a cigarette yeah yeah are you a smoker no why'd you do that jen (laughs) didn't you know you were hurting your health doing it what's that because all my friends were doing it. That's how that cupcake's gonna get eaten, Jen. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's yeah. what I'm. That's what I'm kind of saying. Like I think that intentions are terrific, and goals and planning. It's all like it all makes a thousand percent sense to me. I don't know that Josh's kid is never gonna have a cupcake again. Like that's the and no. and and maybe they maybe he will and maybe he won't. But I didn't feel like it was worth Josh feeling the way he felt about it mm-hmm. like that and so i'll re- relate it back to myself um you know i do my very best to keep arden's blood sugar between 70 and 120 i mean i really 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 do my best and she does too and right now her blood sugar is 111 and i'm pretty happy with it um it she got up in the morning she had a little low overnight she got up in the morning at around 90 and she started heading out to school and it started to pop up a little bit. We had forgotten to reset an override to deal with the last day of the steroid. So we didn't need the override overnight, but we needed it during the day. We got it set up. Her blood sugar went up to 140. We got it back down to 111. Now, I imagine in the next two hours, it's going to be more like 85. Now, mm-hmm. that is hurting Arden. Like there's, it is. Right. It's I don't know if it's taking 30 seconds off the end of her life or if it's going to give her a complication when she's 78 instead of when she's 83. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't know what it's going to be, but I don't know that it's avoidable at this Mm -hmm. point. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I think it's going to happen. I think blood. I think my blood sugar is going to be 140 for a while today. I think that there are some things I apparently can't eat, but I haven't. I don't know. I'm 50. Like, am I never going to have pizza? Cause the guy said I have a gluten sensitivity. Like when I eat pizza, nothing happens to me. And then my, mm-hmm. then I start extrapolating. This is just for me, but I start saying to myself, yeah, my mom's 79. I see what 79 looks like. 
it ain't great, Jen. You know what I mean? Like, it ain't bad, but it's it's not like she's not up jet skiing every day. You know what I mean? And so, mm -hmm. like, if I go out at 79 instead of 83, but I had pizza when I was 55, uh, okay. Like, like that's sort of where I'm at. And I know that's weirder when you're talking about a child, obviously, because there's way more unknown years in front of them than I have. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm just saying mm -hmm. that I think that's the... I would think that for most people, that's the the reality of the situation. Like, I mm -hmm. wonder how many people will never have that cupcake. And I'm not obviously not certain of that. And I'm sure plenty of people will. And I say, you know, good for them. Like, like seriously, I mean that in a very supportive way. If that's what they're going to do, I think that's what they should do. Um, I still think in Josh's specific situation, until he feels better, I would feel badly for him being that tormented over the exact scenario that he brought up in that episode. Not that, and I don't I see imagine that being you though. Like I really, I'm still at that point because I can't see you saying, well, I'm just going to be happier and my child's going to be, you know, a little bit sick because you'd want to put your child first. So if, even though they're, they might go blow it by, you know, smoking or, you know, whatever <laughs> we were equivalent it to, yeah. um, you have to do what you can while you can do it. And then, you know, like even with blood sugars and keeping that tight of control, like, you know, eventually our children are going to go to college and they're going to go to a party and they're going to be crazy for a little while, maybe even a whole semester. Right. And they, you know, but, but why not do what you can do now? You know, I guess maybe there's a tipping point and maybe Josh was at the tipping point. Right. I just know there's a lot of people like me that were listening that aren't at the tipping point, but have a little thing in the back of their head saying, uh, you know, what's one cigarette? What's one cupcake? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a, it's a habit. You know what I mean? And it builds habits and that's what you're trying to do is be a role model. Oh yeah. And so even though you're saying that, I think that like, you, you weren't in Josh's position. I'm hoping that if, I, I think even Josh probably wouldn't do that in order, you know, just for, to make himself a little happier in that moment, he probably needs to work through and get used to his new normal, you know, the way that everyone does when there's a new diagnosis. Right. So I'm going to argue the other side now. <laughs> and and, okay. uh, and I'm also going to like, and I'm also going to say the one thing about Josh specifically, I, I'm so sorry that we're bringing him up so much, but um, I know is that um, I don't think that your description of what I was talking about is commiserate to what is happening to him. Like you're saying, like, what you said was a couple of times. I let you say it a couple of times to be sure that's what you meant. Um, Josh to be a little happier and his kid gets to be sick. Like in that, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like Josh was at a tipping point, like emotionally. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not just saying that like Josh's day was a 97 and it got to be a 99 because he let the kid have a cupcake. I think Josh's day was a two and I was trying mm -hmm. to keep Josh from like running off a cliff like with, mm -hmm. with what I said. And and I don't know that I even was, I don't even know that I was talking about the cupcake. I think I was like more bigger picture saying like, man, like you can't stress this much about this thing. Like it, it was, it's, it, it, it was burdening him. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So that's that. <clears throat> now the other side of it, I think you've listened to this podcast long enough. I'm all about setting up good examples for people and I'm all about the long game and I definitely believe that setting up, you know, a structure for your daughter or for Josh's son or for anybody else where the expectation is, you know what, I might end up at a birthday party. I just don't eat cupcakes and that's that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I bring my own thing or I wait till later or I pick around. I know what I can have at a party that will help. Like, 
I hear you. Like long-term health is super important. They're kids. They're impressionable now. This is your chance to put them in the best headspace that you possibly can. I mean, I think you understand. I completely agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd still probably give that kid that cupcake. Mm-hmm. And I know those things seem completely incongruous to you at the moment. Um, and I'm not in that situation. So maybe I'm just flat out wrong. Um, but I see why you shouldn't. I see why you don't. I see why I shouldn't have said it. And I'm just trying to stay like real world. I still don't know if I was in his situation, if I wouldn't make that concession to try to get to a better place. Cause I don't know that he's, and I think that's that's the important part is like, just how you said, if you were in his situation. So I think in certain situations, obviously, you know, survival, you know? So if you're at such a point that, you know, your quality of life is suffering now instead of the risk of it suffering or someone else's um, health suffering in the future, I mean, you got to self, you know, preservation and um, do whatever you need to do. Um, So if you say it with that disclaimer, I think that's um, one thing just, you know, I didn't want someone to catch on to it and be like, yes. And I also hate that we're reinforcing everything about gluten with stereotypes and like pizza and cupcakes, because I think that's like how people think like, oh, you just can't have the cupcake. You can't eat the pizza. But we're just using that example because it's something that everyone knows. Yeah, right. Well, it's interesting even with that. So it's interesting to listen to you be protective of the conversation. Like, because when you really stop and think about it, I was having a conversation with Josh and I was speaking to Josh about his specific situation. You applied it to your situation. If you and I were having the same conversation, I might've said something completely different to you because your situation would be different. I think it Mm kind of lends to how personal podcasts can feel. You you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I'm talking in your ear and you know, it's, it can feel like I'm talking directly to you. Like if you step back a little bit, you know, I wasn't talking to you and I, and I don't, and I would say that I don't know how many people heard it and thought, Oh, silly me. I've been feeding my kid gluten-free all these years. I could just, I don't think I talked to anybody who's gluten-free into eating a cupcake is what I, I think I'm trying to say. Um, but I can see the concern. And I do think the concern is rooted in where you are in the journey to some degree. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm yeah. not sure. I guess the other thing is, um, even if it's not, you know, so the people that are gluten-free are dealing, you know, not dealing, um, I guess, caring for someone that is gluten-free. It's it's hard to not have people understand, you know, like that don't have a gluten, aller- yeah. gluten allergy or, you know, celiac autoimmune disease to be like, it just kind of seems like it's a pain to everyone, you know, like you go over their house and they have to have this and you have to ask these questions. So I think that's what it is too. So even people that are listening, they're like, well, why can't they, she could just have a cupcake sometimes, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's the other part of it, which I'm saying more like socially that bothers me about celiac. And it's not something that I hear people talking about a lot until it, it seems like it's no big deal until you have to like, find out what's in everything. And then someone that has it will be like, oh yeah, it's really bad. It's worse than type one diabetes because you have to do this. And you can't compare diseases. I don't agree with that at all. Like the whole statement I just said, like I would never compare diseases like that. I'm just saying that like, it feels like almost like when you have a kid and you don't really hear about how having a kid is so hard until you actually have a kid. And then everyone's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like see, having a kid's really hard. Right. I don't know. It's like, um, no, are you so saying- I just wanted- 
other people that aren't in, aren't, don't have a diagnosis or, you know, don't have someone they care for to know that it's not just something that people that with celiac, if they are actually, you know, taking, if they don't have, you know, a mental health problem that they're trying to overcome or, you know, if they're in a good place, like it is serious that you can't just make exceptions sometimes. Yeah. Oh no. A hundred percent. Like uh, to be, you know, again, was a lot about clarity here today. Um, yeah. I, I, I hear your point. Like there, there is a world where somebody could like six months from now be in a situation and the kid gets brought to their house and the parents like, Hey, look, the kid can't have gluten. And you're worried that that person's yeah. like, you know, I heard on a podcast like six months ago, you have like a cupcake if you wanted to. And you know, like, and then they, they have that misunderstanding that makes it more difficult for you, for your child, for everybody. And I see the correlation you're drawing between like people not understanding things about other diseases, diabetes is an example, and they they also don't understand about gluten or people who even had the feeling that you know, honestly you said you had probably seven months ago, which it just seemed like a kind of foo foo thing that fancy skinny people talked about and wasn't real, you know. And now you know it's real. Um, I hear you. You know what I mean. I listen. No one should. No one should be an asshole and just like assume they know something about your life and and not get the details before making some sort of a decision or saying something crappy to other people. But I mean, we know it happens all the time. Like just this conversation to me is somewhere between the way things should be, um, the way things have to be and the way things are. And, you know, it's a, it's an uncomfortable mix sometimes of, of how you get to these, um, understandings. Cause you're going to meet, you're going to make a small group of friends who really understand your daughter's, celiac and they're going to like earnestly take care of her and same with diabetes and there's still going to be people who don't understand and you'll be surprised some of them are going to be in your family you you know and you're going to end up at christmas dinner where someone's like just give it to her it's christmas you're going to be like great thanks i mean i was that person you know what i mean so that's why everything that you just said like in the last three minutes is exactly what my point I think was most important for me to have said, because, you know, that just completely summarizes how I feel and what my biggest concern about that comment was like, you know, I don't even know if like the risk of cancer, which is a very real terrible risk, or, you know, all the other things we talked about autoimmune diseases, if that was what I was most concerned about, or if it was people just not understanding why I have to do this and what I'm trying to protect, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and everyone that has celiac. Well, you did a really wonderful job of speaking for yourself and I really appreciate it. And I would like to take these last couple minutes, if you have a couple extra minutes, to um, mm-hmm. congratulate each other. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> because okay. we um, ran into a situation where I said something that you were very much like, whoa, what the hell, right? And mm-hmm. instead of um, running to the internet to cancel me or instead of yelling at me or instead of just being angry or whatever people do when they see something that they don't immediately completely agree with, you reached out like a human being. We had a lovely conversation online. We set this up immediately to do. I uh, I was right away like, Jesus, like, is that real? Like, I didn't know that. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, like I right away was like, oh, let me make sure I understand it bigger picture. And you've now colored how I'll talk about this going forward. You know, but in fairness, I've had a number of conversations with people with celiac. No one's ever really brought this up before. And maybe that's just a, Mm -hmm. a, you know, an implication of them not even being educated well. Um, And so I'm I'm super grateful for it. What I'm trying to say is that without this conversation, 
without me saying something that needed to be clarified, without you clarifying it, without being, you know, vicious, you know, which happens online all the time, um, we actually did a good thing, right? We had speech. It wasn't perfect. We made it better. That's going to help people moving forward. Instead of just saying, the guy on the podcast doesn't understand celiac. I'm not listening to this anymore. Or, you know, I'm going to yeah. make sure that my friends don't hear this or whatever. We just actually, like, talked about it like people. It was nice. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Yeah. I uh, had a professor once that told me that, um, you know, there's two reasons that disagreements exist. And it's um, misinformation or uh, differences in value judgments. And that's really like the two things that it comes down to. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the approach that I try to take when I hear things is, you know, having a conversation and saying like, okay, does this person really understand like what the facts are? And then if not, then I'll try to provide some information. And, you know, after I provide the information, difference in value judgments, that kind of comes down to the other part of the conversation you had with Josh, you know, his mental health may have been more important than that pressing issue at the time. And that's where your advice came in. So right. I think that that's a good thing to keep in mind. And I appreciate how you received the information, you know, once I reached out. Oh, I, well, I was really grateful that you reached out, honestly. Um, in my mind, Josh, somebody brought this up to me recently, and I can't remember how they, uh, they talked about the way astronauts solve problems. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll have to find it somewhere. Like, because every, I think the, the, the um the example was that everything an astronaut deals with is trying to kill them so you eliminate the things that are trying to kill you and i think my brain works that way so in my mm -hmm. mind i definitely want josh's kid to be okay health wise and i want them to get in a good pattern and you know raise the kids so that he's doing the best things for him but i was sort of like in that spot where like if josh doesn't put on his oxygen mask ain't none of this going to matter like that, that's sort of like how I saw it in the moment, but I'm grateful that you came along with the rest of the information. I wish it, I wish I would have known it in the moment and uh, I'm glad to know it now. I just think that aside of our conversation, you know, I, I also wear another hat where I oversee a really large Facebook group. And what mm -hmm. I notice most about when conversations go well versus when they go poorly, usually when they go poorly, Someone involved, I hope this doesn't sound pejorative, seems like they want to be upset. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, ooh, finally, someone said something wrong. And I get to let out my vitriol. Right now, I can be venomous and angry. And and it's absolutely, I'm okay. Like, I'm I'm justified doing this because they're wrong. And, and yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you didn't have any of that. That's totally not what I was going for. Yeah, yeah. right. So. I don't think that's, you know, maybe people need an outlet. That's a good outlet for some people, but it's not, doesn't, it's not a really great way to be heard or share information, you know? So yeah, they should try yeah. going for a walk or or something like that instead of yelling at people online. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Now my mom can't listen to this. She can. I'll blur. You want me to bleep it out <laughs> just for your mom? No, no I'm going to bleep it out no, just for your mom. That, I swear to God. Okay. I am. <laughs> don't worry. Maybe the cigarette. I'm. 40 years old and never admitted to smoking a cigarette. So you're 40 and there's something inside of you right now. It's like, God, my mom's going to hear that I had a cigarette. Yeah. And she's upstairs watching my kids. <laughs> what do you think? And I'm married. What do you I'm think? Jen, what do you think your mom's done that you don't know about? I, I don't want to even think about it. I think I know. <laughs> you think you know? All right. At the end of the recording, will you tell me if I shut it off? <laughs> I, I mean, no comment. I'll never meet your mom. It's safe to tell me. 
Anyway. You might meet her. You never know. Wouldn't that be hilarious? If I met her, I was like, oh, my God, you're Jen's mom. And then I, and I got real red in my face. And nothing else. She'll hear your voice and she'll be like, Scott. Oh, my God. He knows what I did. <laughs> All right. Well, I really genuinely appreciate you doing this and taking the time. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you course. for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Obviously, first, I want to thank Jen for reaching out to me, for coming on today, for being so eloquent about celiac, and um, for telling her story. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter for being a sponsor of the Juice Box Podcast. And I'd also like to remind you to go to contournext.com forward slash juicebox to check out that mighty little meter. It really is terrific. Thank you so much for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. There's a little more after the music, but then you can go on with your day. All right, real quick. If you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes, they're diabetespro-tip.com, juiceboxpodcast.com, where they begin at episode 210 in your podcast player. Are you listening online right now? Please find an audio app and subscribe there. Are you listening in an audio app, but you aren't subscribed or following the show? Oh, you're breaking my little heart. Please subscribe and follow. Are you looking for that Facebook page? It's called Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes, a private Facebook group with over 23,000 people just like you talking about diabetes. Josh, who was spoken about in this episode, has been on the podcast twice, once on episode 435 in an episode called Josh Has All the Feels. And again, in episode 623, Josh has even more feels, and that is the episode that was referenced today. If you're interested in going and checking it out, it's right there in your podcast player. I'll be back soon. Thank you so much for listening.